All views and opinions expressed in this podcast may lead to learning. All information provided is for educational and developmental purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for a growth mindset. Before taking action, please consult your motivation. Welcome to Teacher Talking Time, brought to you by Learn Your English. Learn Your English is a company that is changing the way people study, learn, and teach languages. Learn Your English offers students and teachers strategies to effectively develop their abilities and skills in their own time. Bringing you the latest in English language learning and teaching, Teacher Talking Time explores all angles for teachers and students alike. Got a question? Comment. A story to share. Send us an email at info at learnyourenglish.com. This is the Teacher Talking Time Podcast. What are your red flags in the interview slash onboarding process? I will tell you. Okay. Uh, what do you... People, people that give me the idea or through their phrasing and wording or through actually verbally telling me that and trust me it has happened before more than once people that believe that they've learned everything that they could have oh no really yeah. oh yeah um like so what would you like to be able to study or learn or accomplish or um no i'm fine i think i've studied so much like I've, i'm so experienced i've i've have my phd i have my master's i have my this and that so i i yeah i think i and just I, we, threw up a little bit in my mouth i know yeah because trust me um i get that and and again it all for me it all goes back to curiosity right and being mm-hmm. curious i i don't think you can be a passionate teacher or even a good one if you think you've learned everything That voice you just heard was of the uber-talented and uber-intelligent Barbara Mendez, and I'm so happy she took time out of her busy schedule to sit down with us for this interview of the podcast. Barbara's a teacher, a teacher trainer, language coach, and director of studies at ILAC, better known as the International Language Academy of Canada, the largest private language school in the country. She sat down with me to talk teaching, her inspiration, the importance of professional development, what she looks for and what she doesn't look for in potential hires, and much, much more. Speaking of professional development, and a little bit of a shameless plug here, at Learn Your English are happy to announce the launch of our new course, Grammar for Teachers, online on Thinkific. If you're interested in grammar, in brushing up, or just want to learn a little bit more, head over there, lyenetwork.thinkific.com. That's lyenetwork.thinkific.com. Dot com. Always send us an email as well, info at learnyourenglish.com, or find us on all the relevant social media networks. All right, that's enough about us. Let's get back to the main show. Here's my entire interview with Barbara Mendez, the DOS at ILAC. Coming up right after this, on this episode of Teacher Talking Time. Fala, galera. Meu nome é Thiago Freire, eu sou de São Paulo, Brasil, e você está escutando o Teacher Talking Time, the Learn Your English podcast. Espero que vocês gostem. Hey everyone out there, I am Pamela from Costa Rica, and you are listening to Teacher Talking Time, the Learn Your English podcast. All right, and I'd like to welcome to the show Barbara Mendez. Barbara, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are I, you? I'm well. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> uh, so not to uh, embarrass you or put you on the spot here, but I've got a quick bio of you. And, oh, my God. Uh, I'd like to read it. I'd Did like I to tell... worry? <laughs> <laughs> well, well let, just let me know if any of it is untrue, but I, I, I believe you're quite an accomplished uh, lady in the field. So I'd like to tell the listeners kind of who you are and what, what you do. So I've, I've got here, of course, you're a teacher. You're a teacher trainer. You have founded three separate companies. You're a director of studies, a translator, and a journalist as well. Is that all true? 
Um, believe it or not, yep. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Uh, how yes. long? How long have you been teaching? Twenty years. Twenty. But I years. started. I was five. So do the math. We're good. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, I, I was gonna say, I, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in this industry for twenty years. So yeah, I started teaching. I was eighteen. I started uh, a small, very small adult like business English company in Brazil, and never stopped. That's incredible. That, <laughs> that I mean, that's that's the I mean, that's what this industry does, right? You people I can know. start and they can grow and they can create and they and they can go as far as they like in it. I think that's yeah. what most of us love about it. Yes, absolutely, and it was absolutely unexpected at the time. Um, I was, like you mentioned, I I was studying to become a journalist, and I really, really wanted to write. But of course, I, I had to pay my way through university, right? And mm -hmm. I started and said, okay, so I had already, at the age of like 18, 19 years old, I had already took, I mean, I had the CPE uh, mm -hmm. exam at the time, no teaching experience whatsoever. But some companies in Brazil were hiring people with like a proficiency level of, I don't know, a certification. And they were providing training at the time. That was pretty common at the time. Like companies would hire people with no experience and provide them, I don't know, a month or two months training. And that's how I started. Okay. And look at you now, 20 years later. Uh, wow. Not to bore people with, you know, I think... Your story is, is, that's an incredible story, but a lot of teachers that I've met, I'm sure that you've met as well, and, and my story as well is, is quite similar, not dissimilar to what you just described. Starting really? out, you know, not wanting to be, a, you know, not, not, not wanting to be a teacher, but not really considering being a teacher, starting and then continuing, and then you just keep going, and I'm still doing it. Hasn't been 20 years, it's been 10 years for me, but yeah. uh, I started and not, you know, not intentionally and just kind of happened and sounds like kind of happened for you the same way. Exactly. It was never like my true, I, well, I didn't thought at the time that it was my true vocation, but I remember that um, before, like even in high school, I would always be the one like leading like study groups and things like that and coordinating all these things. So it didn't change much, you know, like I just started doing it professionally. You just like, started getting paid for it. Exactly. <laughs> Might as but, well. Uh, I was yeah, and, and especially like with English in Brazil, right? It's it's well, I think it's still such a such a taboo. Like we don't have proper like English training at school, like regular school. Mm. Um so but all of a sudden we would have to have our university and college exams and we would have to study English and maybe learn the basics in a year. So I remember some of my, my friends were like devastated with the fact that they had to learn English all of a sudden. And, and I remember we would put together study groups and things like that, and I would always be involved. So, yeah. That's great. I that... think it was there all along. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic story. And again, I think that's that's very commendable. Why did you... So I'd like to go back to the beginning before we go forward to kind of present day. Let's go into the past a little bit. Okay. Why? And we're working actually on a special episode. We're going to ask as many teachers as we can. This, this basic question, but obviously there's a complicated answer. Why did you become a teacher? Why did I become a teacher? That's a very, very important question. Mm -hmm. I think that after it accidentally became part of my life, I felt that no matter the stage of my life, no matter what I was aiming for, because I was always like studying something new or, or researching something or into something specific, and I kept on teaching. So I did other stuff on the side. Like I worked with music for a while. I worked with, um, well, journalism lasted like for five years in my career. Mm -hmm. I actually worked as a reporter, but it just wasn't for me. Like the everyday of the profession, it was like too much. I hear that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I won't get into details, but yeah, it was hard. Um, and teaching, constantly teaching. And, and kind of felt like a safe place to be can I can I say that I know it sounds weird yeah of course but it kind of felt like I could help people I could be creative and yeah it, it had purpose you know since day one since since as, as this very unexperienced teacher I could always feel that I 
could add something to people's lives or or that there were people there at the time that knew less than I did. <laughs> so, right. so somehow I could help them um, and see the results and see the progress in their lives. And, and, and then like later in my career, when I started coaching, um, like as a language coach, it, it, it was just, I don't know, I think I, you get addicted to that somehow. <laughs> I don't disagree. And I think that's why we'll get into this a little bit later, not to spoil the, the plot here, but why all of us are so dedicated and put in so many hours and a lot of those hours are unpaid is because we are so passionate and because we really do care about the learning process of the students who are in our class or not in our class, and depending on the scenario in which you're teaching. Um, yeah. Although I always question the, the verb to become a teacher. Uh, do you think that you were always a teacher and then just made a conscious decision to do it professionally? Yeah, kind of. Absolutely. I, I think you have to be, first of all, you have to be a people person, right? You have to, I don't know, you have just, you have to be curious about the other human being, like yes. right there, right? And yeah, so I think it, it helps. I think having the right, I don't know if personality or mindset or genetics, because my dad is a college, it's a university professor himself. I don't know if this is an own DNA. I have never like researched that, but <laughs> I have always been, it has always been very like present in my family. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm very, I'm, I don't know either. I don't know what the answer to that question is. I like to, to hypothesize about these types of things. I think you're right. I think you have to be curious about the human condition. You definitely have to be curious about learning. I don't know if you have to be a people person per se. Um, I think it's curious if you ask a lot of teachers, this has nothing to do with being a people person, but a lot of teachers I found are very introverted, which I've always found very fascinating because on the surface, teaching seems to be very ex like an extroverted job, but when you unpack it a little bit, it's really not, right? Yeah, it can be lonely though. Yeah. You're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, maybe people person is not the perfect definition, but you have to be comfortable with the fact that you're surrounded by people, right? Mm -hmm. Or even if you are teaching on an online platform, you have to take the other end into account. So to to really be able to guide people through the learning process, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Instead of just like throwing content at people. So, yeah. Okay, Barbara. So now we're going to go even further back in time. All we're right. Go back. I'm getting scared. Is it okay? <laughs> it's perfect. All right. It's perfect. 20 years ago, do you uh -huh. remember your first class, the first day of teaching? Jesus, hell no. Really? Of uh, man, I was eighteen. You don't remember your first class? But I do remember the institution. Okay. And I don't have wonderful memories about it. And I don't know if it would be ethical to share it here. Okay, I I, do, I can say some fun stuff. Um, I was eighteen, right? And I looked eighteen. Mm -hmm. But my students were young professionals. Most of them older than me. Um, so they saw me. I remember. I, that, that I remember. Um, they looked at me like I was some sort of alien, like or a very strange person, and and they couldn't understand how a Brazilian would be like an eighteen-year-old girl from São Paulo would be teaching them English. So I had even at a very very early age go through that barrier, or or, or I don't know, um, really struggle to build rapport with them you know okay so how, and... this is a good thing i want to talk about as well so how do you overcome <laughs> those challenges so my, my question was going to be i'll make it a two-part question uh if you knowing what you know now go back to that 18 year old barbara what advice would you give her and then by extension what advice do you have for all the other teachers now who are starting who are young, who are inexperienced, who might not look like they know what they're doing. I was the same. I've always looked younger than what I am. I have the same experience as you. I walked into my first class. I remember it like it was yesterday because same thing. It was a business English classroom. The students were older than I was. Uh, I <laughs> felt like I didn't know what I was doing. I probably didn't know what I was doing. No, I definitely didn't know what I was doing. I don't know if I, I, know what I was doing. Yeah, came I off no like I did. <laughs> I prepped the class for like three days. I memorized. It was only an hour and a half. I memorized everything uh, and you get through it. But so... What advice would you give to you 20 years ago and for those people now who are in that position that you were in, what would <laughs> you advise laugh. them doing? But to my 18-year-old, I would say hold on a little longer. There will be something called Google. Called what? 
Google internet oh. resources <laughs> What's, stuff oh, yeah. for you to read, authors for you to connect with. Just hold on, girl. There will be a world opening up right in front of you called the internet. But at the time, uh, although we had internet, right? Um, <laughs> but it wasn't it wasn't like that. I mean, I remember I was going through journalism school and like seriously oh my gosh i'm so old but i was like cutting newspapers and and articles and and like cutting with scissors and and you know <laughs> yeah people did that in the past people still do like, that it's okay when dinosaurs uh, were on earth but then again um it, it was yeah because i think the internet um, and i'm not talking about only resources and class preparation and tips and tutorials and things like that but i'm talking about a community, right? A worldwide community of teachers sharing wonderful resources, like what you guys are doing right now, mm -hmm. right? For new teachers. Yeah. And I had to rely on books and on on like people that somehow would serve as mentors at the time, like older teachers, and and that was it. So I think that being a new teacher nowadays is a world like if you're curious and if you're passionate about it it's 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 an ever-ending world of research and yeah. you know resources and it's it's we have lots and lots of exciting stuff happening right well that's now. it right i think that's what we're trying to curate here i think that's what you're trying to curate where you work is curiosity learning continued learning whether you're a new teacher or an experienced teacher you can always learn more the internet is a wonderful place as we know but it's also you know it can be a little bit of a rabbit hole because with the expansion there's so much online you google you know materials for yeah. xyz whatever it is and you'll find too much and how do yeah. you figure out you know how do you stop yourself from going down that rabbit hole and, and never finishing it basically yeah absolutely that's why i believe in the magical combination of mentorship and curiosity so if you're mm. if you're guided if you're like guided through a process if you have a mentor or if you have senior teachers to give you tips and support and and that's why now as dos i feel that it's my uh, job to create a teaching community with my teachers to make sure that they are constantly sharing and and and, and you know uh, collaborating with each other because i think that's that's especially for the new teachers that's what makes the process fun and 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 meaningful right you know and way easier when they when they start right let's pin that just for one second because that's the second question that's coming up but i want to <laughs> go back and ask you because i'm still kind of old school lots of people are kind of old school i always say i was i was born in the wrong decade i was born in the 80s but should have been born in the 60s because i like the beatles i like the stones i like all that Good. kind of stuff you know casablanca hitchcock all these films <laughs> that's uh, awesome i still read books like you know books like Good paper, for you. <laughs> paper books on paper, printed, physical copies, all these things. Me um, too. And I have some of, you know, online resources for teaching and learning and updating yourself, doing your own professional development is really important. But you can do that with books. Uh, and I, I like to ask people their their favorite ELT resources that are actual books. And do you have a, like a top three that have helped you along the way? Oh, I do. I do. And now with my this, with this position of being... Uh, forcing myself to revisit these books, right? Uh, it, also to be able to curate the workshops that I run for the teachers and, um, well, my own uh, my own understanding of, of teaching as well. So I'm comparing authors and I've been reading, reading and studying way more. Uh, when I, well, then again, we started like back 20 years ago and then I only started becoming a, like a, how can I say, like taking, because I took so many uh, training uh, courses, but those trainings were held by the local like schools that I was working at. So I had never had like a, a real TESOL experience or a real like teacher training mm -hmm. certification process. So in 2006 or seven, I took uh, the University of Cambridge ISELT, and that was when all this you know, resources for teachers kind of like I, this opened in front of me. I was like, oh, so there's <laughs> tons of stuff about it, right? There are tons of people researching all those things that I've been having, you know, to deal with in the past years. Right. So I remember at the time we were reading all like the basic books and everything. But uh, a course in language teaching from 10 years 
Oh, uh, good, yeah. Yeah, that really, I love the way it's, I don't know, it's a different book. Like, I love the metaphors, you know? So for every single uh, teaching or a classroom management chapter or for their, like, teacher's roles, she displays, like, fun tasks with tons of metaphors. So I remember that clearly. And I've been using that book a lot to share with, with teachers, like, um, specific metaphors that she uses because it's fun it's a different way of approaching theory right fantastic yes yes it is i really love that book and recently there are two books i mean they're not el well they are elt but they're more for those who go through this transition of teaching to management okay um there's this book that i really love called um i got this as a gift from another teacher from from one of the teachers that i managed today it's called um advising and supporting teachers Mm -hmm. and there's another one called from teacher to manager oh good i like that i like the title yeah i think it's andy hockley uh, one of the organizers Ah. and it's a great yeah he he was in barcelona when we were there yes i think he holds the sig right the special interest group at iatapple for the business program yes he does yeah so it's a great great book Um, From Teacher to Manager, Supervising and Supporting Teachers. Those are great. I forgot the name of the author, but it's Barbara something. Thornton? No. It's Uh, it's you, isn't it? You're just being humble. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So these are like, they're they're poor books because I've been revisiting them pretty much weekly now. They always have something or a chapter that we use for workshops and it's been really, really good. That's the thing about books, right? We can always revisit them, especially, I mean, ELT books. You can go back and you can check it again and review and and remember what you've forgotten or vice versa and it never stops being a valuable resource, I don't think. Yeah, and we have like the basic ones, right? So principles of language teaching learning and teaching like rounds quivner yeah and these these are the ones that we are are always like go to and and the fun thing is to see how these books have been revisited by the authors themselves with the new editions and the add-ons and i love what um scott thurnberry did by putting the ANZ of ELT online oh i know isn't that great so generous that was like Thank you for doing that. Because he doesn't have to do that. It's like a ginormous dictionary of VLT, right? And for for people that are starting and they're still like trying to navigate the you know the jargons and all those beautiful things we study, it's such such a powerful tool. And and it used to be a book, but now I believe that the full content is online. So that that was an amazing. That's thing. so. And he, and Scott was at. Um, at I uh, sorry not IHF, at uh, IH Barcelona as well this year we saw him speak and I mean he's obviously one of the biggest authors and biggest personalities in the industry but he's he's very yeah. humble and he's he's great and obviously has been very very successful financially from this but that was a great gesture uh, from yeah. him you didn't ask but I'm going to give you my list as well so here Please? we go <laughs> I was I'll just going to say thank there. you Scott <laughs> yeah well he's on my list and I mean it's cliche but there's a reason why they're, they're solid books of course so About Language by Thornbury is, is one of my favorites yes uh, John Field of course listening in the language classroom I think approaches to listening are are contentious at best and a lot of teachers disagree how to approach listening but I think a lot of us a lot of teachers just test the listening they don't actually teach the skills of listening so that's a great book for that nice um Teaching English Grammar by Scrivener, Teaching Unplugged by Thornbury. I'm a big fan of. Uh, oh, mm-hmm. um, uh, Dog Me. Yeah, Dog Me. Oh wow. Okay, yes. Andrew, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, I think... like, have you ever seen the um, debates on Dog Me online? You bet, of like, course. Harmer and 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 Thornbury talking well... about. Oh, that that's so cool! Like, Recently, what it's if been a little language bit... does not emerge from the classroom? I don't, I, I don't, I don't agree with that. I mean, it, language always emerges, and I think it's our job as a teacher to to make it emerge or to create it. You know, I mean, I'm a big fan of task based learning as well. So, yeah. from tasks or task based learning teaching, language emerges, and then you can impl- or insert the dogma after that. I, I'm a big proponent of that. Of course, dogma. Well, yeah, right. Yeah. No, go ahead. No, no, no. Makes sense. Like you would use Dogme as an activation stage. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it certainly doesn't apply to every style and to every task that you would do. But yeah. I, I am a big fan of. There was a, a session at Barcelona in Barcelona as well called 
um, oh, um, but re- reacting, reacting teaching, right? Or react ability. So teaching the students, not teaching the lesson, right? So yeah. I think Dogme is, is involved in that. What do our students need? What am I seeing that their deficiencies are? What are their gaps? And then in, in, in trying to fill those gaps as best as possible. Um, yeah. So I like it. It's not for everybody, but I, I do I do like it. Yeah, but don't you think this is the mindset more than a methodology? Yes, I do. Ah. Yeah, because yes, you, you don't have to be full on dog meat, but you can keep this mindset. And, and that's a, where I think like needs assessment come in handy. And, you know, all those beautiful things that we mm-hmm. you know recommend our teachers to be like fully aware and assessing your students' needs. And Well, that leads into another question that I had for you. Might, okay. as, well, might, as, well, might as well jump into it now <laughs> is where do you fall on you – know, what's your view on textbooks essentially is the question. I think that – there's lots of research and hard work and great materials out there. Most likely because lots of competent people write textbooks, right? Thank God. But I think that they are, um, I would put them as a rationale, as a starting point, mm-hmm. as a guideline. And we do like, of course, we, we use textbooks in the school that I, you know, uh, manage, but I believe that nothing compares or, or it wouldn't be the same without the teacher's uh, spice, without the teacher's creativity. And uh, we pretty much repeat 10,000 times a day the, the phrase, bring the textbook to life, mm. right? Because I think that's what we truly encourage our teachers to do. The textbook is there, but it's it's just a script or even, a, I don't even see it as a script. I see it as a guideline or a you know, a menu from right. things to pick from. But the person who is actually cooking the meal <laughs> is the teacher. And teachers, of course, teachers' creativity and teachers' knowledge and, and you know, efforts and energy is what makes great classes great classes. I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, textbooks are, as you say, written by very smart people and for a purpose. But we always want to talk about personalizing our teaching and personalizing our classroom absolutely and and the one thing everyone agrees textbooks are not are personal right so how do you know that present perfect should be taught following this and then not and before that well it doesn't you know for i would say it doesn't matter it but it depends on who's in your class and where they're at and what their experience with the language is and if they've already got it then you can skip it or these types of things so we should be as teachers i just found the name of the session it's called response ability basically on (laughs) noticing in the classroom so we have to be aware we have to notice what's going on in our classroom and just because a textbook prescribes a language point to be taught doesn't mean that we need to teach it or teach it in the way that the textbook has prescribed it that's essentially the idea yeah let's take a quick break we'll be right back You know, quality professional development is such an important part of the teaching industry, but it's surprisingly hard to come by. That's why I was so pleased to come across Learn Your English, a company providing online teacher education courses with a fresh perspective. My name is Erin, and I'm an English language teacher. After a decade in the classroom, I found myself teaching the same things in the same way. My learning seemed to have plateaued. I wanted to take charge of my learning, and I really like how the online Learn Your English courses don't prescribe anything. They motivate me to reflect on my teaching and propose tactics and ideas I hadn't considered. If you're a language teacher wanting to learn inside your busy schedule, I highly recommend their online courses on Thinkific. Head on over to lyenetwork.thinkific.com. That's lyenetwork.thinkific.com. Take control of your education. You won't regret it. Hi everyone, my name is Carrie and I'm from Macau. This is Teacher Talking Time, the Learn Your English podcast. Uh, so let's get into your director of studies at a private language school in Toronto called ILAC, is that correct? ILAC, yes, that's correct. International Language Academy of Canada. Yes, of wh- proudly Canadian. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I am too. I used to work for ILAC, so we have something in common. Yes. I know. Um, and for I like college as well. Yeah, uh, yes, for both. I did. I, I worked in the, the teacher training department for how long was that? Three years, four years, something like that. Until recently. Yes, um, you braved your way through a TEFL program. <laughs> I did. And loved it. Loved every second of it. It was amazing. Um, 
being the DOS there, in general, what do you believe the role of the DOS or a DOS to be? Okay, I think, and I used to work as an ADOS too, then I worked as a campus manager, and I would say that every single role I had at ILAC, um, I had to focus on different things and perform different tasks, right? Mm -hmm. So now as an ADOS, I am way closer to teachers, which I love, by the way. Sorry, students, I really love you all, but working (laughs) with teachers is my true passion. Um, before, as an ADOS, I would be way more divided, I would say, between um, operational um, tasks and taking care of students um, and students' concerns. And like I would see and counsel students way more often than I do now. Um, and of course, I would maybe be the go-to person for like new teachers, but for more operational you know, uh, tasks. Right. Um, now I feel that I am way more integrated into the academic. Uh, of course, I centralize all the academic um, uh, tasks right now. And my main job is to take care of the teachers and is to be the support and the centralizer of all teaching initiatives that we have there. So I uh, put together all our PD calendars with all the professional development initiatives that we have. I follow up directly with teachers, observe classes, give them feedback, run program meetings. I'm also in charge of all the onboarding process for our new, new hires from their training to, you know, teaching them all the company culture and the school's um, standards and policies, procedures. That's a lot of hats. (laughs) Yeah. Got a lot yeah, of hats and on. training the staff because we have a big department. We're a big school, right? We have five yeah. uh, different buildings in Toronto. And, and, and how big is the teaching staff right now? Um, I would say that we are at one hundred fifty-five teachers. Holy moly! Yeah, that is and, a lot. And it increases during the peak season, which is summertime. Right. right? So it's March now. So that's a winter number. Of, yep. of staff sets. I remember when I worked there, it hovered around 100 usually, up to yeah. 130, 40 in the summer, but it's it's winter now and you're already at 150. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So to guarantee that I call them all by their names and I know their backgrounds and I, I it's a lot of work. Yeah. Because I, like you, you just mentioned about making textbooks personal, right? I mm-hmm. feel that my attitude towards um, this group of teachers is exactly the same. I, I have to make it personal. My my talk to them should be personal, and my feedback sessions are personal. So you yeah. know who's who's perfect at that is Ilan. Ilan always I he always like shocked me, and then I got used to it. But he knows everyone's <laughs> name, and he yes. and there's so many people, and yes, he's fantastic. I should say Ilan is one of the owners of of I like if people don't know, and he would walk around all the campuses, and he would say good morning Andrew every morning, and then he would say it to the next person, <laughs> and to the next person, and to everybody, and he knows everyone's name, and I always thought, my God, that's amazing. How does he do? Yeah, that? that's that's very I like. Like the culture mm-hmm. is is like bringing people together. Um, yeah, Great. I think I think that's that's how they want to. They started small and they were growing and growing and growing. Right, it's a school that's been there mm-hmm. for twenty two years, and yeah, yeah, it's great. It's been great to bring lots of learning, like bringing uh, even to my management skills. And and I've I'd managed schools back home, but nothing compares to this size. And right. it's been great. really really fun. That's <laughs> awesome. Um, you said that you're. And of course, in charge of the onboarding process. So let me ask you a couple of questions about your interviewing strategy as a mm, DOS. Recruiting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so how should? Let me start with a different approach. What? Who interviews better, an experienced teacher or an inexperienced teacher? That's a tricky question. I had a a former boss of mine, a manager, told me that he would he would always get a better result in an interview from an inexperienced teacher. Uh, and I won't tell you why until you give me your answer. But I, I always like to ask that question. Who interviews better, experienced or inexperienced? I'm thinking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking because what I aim when I'm recruiting, it's not, of course, that we will 
take a look at people's background and, and, and experience, right? The places they've taught before, if they haven't, years of experience, programs or different certificates. I mean, of course, we look at that. But when we call a person for an interview, it's because we have already assessed that. Okay. Do you know what I mean? And I think that the one-on-one -on -one conversation, it's way more focused on, I want to see if that person has the right profile, the right mindset, the right attitude, communic you know, communicative skills, um, I don't know, language, posture. Uh, it, it's, there's so much at stake, and it's so subjective somehow, because if I believe that the first prop, and then I get really frustrated when I talk to people, and people keep on tapping on their experience and they keep on tapping on what they've done before and what they uh, taught before and the places or the schools or how many years they taught before. You already know that. That's interesting. That's on their, that's on their resume, right? When I'm, when I'm talking to a person, I want to see if, first of all, if I, if as a student or if I would have to get one of my students and, and, and put, put like, can that person create a, an environment or, that's conducive to learning. Can that person build rapport? Can that person sometimes can 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 a person connect with the others? And I think I think that's that's what we're looking for when we talk to people, right? And what is your strategy to gauge that in an interview? Because that's a hard I, thing to gauge just on a you know a five ten minute conversation, of course, right? So what do you have any tricks? Just ask them to talk about themselves. Okay. <laughs> and people love talking about themselves. Right? Usually, yeah. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> Here I am talking about myself. But then again, um, yeah, just ask them to talk about themselves. And um, uh, and then when they start getting too technical or too that, because that's not what I want, at least myself as a recruiter. Mm -hmm. I know that. I, I'll, I'll start from the uh, understanding that the person did not lie on their resume <laughs> and what they wrote <laughs> there is true. And I, so I already know that the person taught for seven years at a certain institution and has experience with TOEFL, IELTS, and EAP. I know that, but talk to me. You know that that's that's. I mean, I know it's not very um, by the book, but it usually no, I works. I think it's great. I think that's. I when I was in, when I was a Dawson, I was interviewing candidates. I would always ask them, "Why are you here?" And they would look at me really strangely. And I'd say, why are you here? And then they would, you know, come out and, oh, because I, I like teaching. I want a job. I said, no, that's nice. But why are you here? Why aren't you at another school? Why aren't you yeah, there? Why aren't exactly. you? That's what do you want question. out of this? Yeah. And what I was looking for is because I've researched your institute. I like it. It meets my stand, you know, all, all, you know, not standard, but it meets my vision of teaching, my philosophy of teaching. I really do believe that every teacher should have a philosophy of teaching. Yeah. Uh, if it's short, yeah. if it's long, whatever. That would but, be a great question. Like a question that I would ask would be, how do you feel about teaching? What's teaching for you? Or how do you, how do you identify yourself as a teacher? You know, like those very broad, subjective questions. Right, but they lead to more specific answers, and those, exactly. that's the point of the question. And you talk, you referenced the word coaching earlier, and, and to be honest, I'm not a fan really of the word coaching. But oh, Andrew, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about coaching. Why? Tell me why. Because I feel like it's 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 detached a little bit, and I feel like it's something where it's a one it's you're just advising and rather than working collaboratively. Oh, but I don't see coaching as advising. Okay. Yeah, that would be more of a, I don't know. Like like you're running just pure assessment and like diagnosis of your students or were. Yeah. No, um, I don't like advising either. That's that's no good. Yeah, we're counseling. No, no, I see coaching as the person who does the work with you. Okay. Like, yeah. Have you noticed how those sport coaches are always, like, most of them, like, sweating and fit just like the athletes, That's you know, a good or they're. Yeah, yeah, you do the work together because, I mean, it's a parallel work, right? It's a different work. You're doing the work of analyzing, assessing, facilitating, learning, and tailored. And that's the tricky part to make sure that you, what you're teaching is tailor-made. Mm -hmm. What you're teaching is accurate. What you're teaching for that circumstance that the student is presenting to you. That so, I agree with. And you just said the word that I like. I like facilitator. That's the word. And I, these are all basically synonyms. We're all being finicky about it. But I, I like the word facilitator. <laughs> yeah, because you're 
that's why I don't think that a person starts their careers as a coach. I, I don't think they can do that. I, I think they have to um, explore different teaching and learning scenarios, be exposed to so many different, you know, student profiles and needs and mm -hmm. learning circumstances to be able to start um, actually making fair assessments of your students' needs, right? You have to know what... what... What they tell you, it's not true. Of course. Sometimes what they, what they tell you that they need is really what... It's not what they need. <laughs> right. Well, it, I, it, I had a former boss who would always say, you know, you don't tell your doctor what to prescribe you. Right? Exactly. So, so a he, student comes to say, oh, I have to improve my listening skills. I said, really? Why? Tell me about your life. Tell me about why you need English. Mm-hmm. So needs assessment, right? And this is why I think we, textbooks shouldn't be followed directly because you have to facilitate, you have to know what your students need and what's in that book might not be what they need. They might need something else. Very commonly students will say, I need more grammar, but really what they need is they need lexical chunks or they yeah. need more practice. They don't need the actual, they don't really understand what the grammar is, but that's our job to interpret what they're telling us and exactly, then to activate absolutely. it, to facilitate yeah. that for them. Yeah. Uh, and you can do that in a group setting. You can do that individually. You can do that on, online. You can do it in live action with a group of students in a classroom. Mm -hmm. I think it all, like like we've said before, it's on the teacher's mindset to to have that goal with their students. And connecting the like being connect connectivity with our class. I think that's what you said earlier, and that's that's it because. All the you know, most of the work has to be put in by the student because they have to do it outside of class, right? So how do we motivate them and how do we show them and give them tools to do it outside of class? A colleague of mine has a really good expression and he says, uh, he tells his class all the time and I've stolen it from him and I've started telling my class this. And, you know, language learning is one of the most unique businesses in the world because as a student or as a client, you know, it's one of the very few businesses where you pay all this money and you have to do all the work. <laughs> you know? if you wanted to make it if you wanted to be effective right? <laughs> right if you really really wanted to work you have to do all the work there's no magical pill or scheme or yeah pretty you know? much you have to do all the work well you know that i am and that's how we met right at the conference yeah um, yeah t4t conference i'm a huge advocate for learner autonomy so yep right. absolutely that's but that's it that's a tricky phrase because, of course, it's true, but our jobs as facilitators, teachers, coaches, whatever word you want to use, is to not have students waste their time when they're trying to be autonomous. We have to give them the correct tools and guidance so that they can actually have effective, extensive listening and reading outside of the classroom, right? Exactly. Teach, teach them how to be autonomous because right. not everybody has the, the inclination or, you know, yeah, or, or the idea that they can be in control of their learning. Yeah. But lots of people still believe that the teacher is the gatekeeper of the knowledge. And yeah. That's yep. it. And I can claim originality on this one. I tell on the first day of my class, I always tell them if you're if after X amount of time, you know, four weeks, eight weeks, whatever the course is, and if you still need me, I haven't done my job. And they'll look at me like <laughs> I'm crazy, you know. But I'm like, guys, you're not going to learn a language, you know, two hours a week with me. This is this is impossible. You're never gonna it's never gonna do it. So if I haven't taught you how to do this on your own in eight weeks, then I'm not doing my job properly. Yeah, I would kind of have a similar phrase starting courses online with the with business uh, business English coaching. Um, I remember I would start also the program by saying, Okay, so we're doing this now, so you don't need me anymore. Right. And that was my catchphrase. And they were like, seriously? No, but what if I have a this very important pitch presentation and I really need you to... I said, well, we're, we're going to do the work now. We're going to go through hell if needed. <laughs> so you don't need me anymore. Uh, and yeah. Uh, Barbara, one last question on the onboarding process. And this is a big one, I think, for, for people who are listening or for new teachers. What are your red flags in the interview slash onboarding process? I will tell you. Okay. Uh, what do you people people that give me the idea or through their phrasing and wording or through actually verbally telling me that and trust me, it has happened before more than once. People that believe that they've learned everything that they could have. Oh no! Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, like. So what would you like to be able to study or learn or accomplish or, um, 
no, I'm fine. I think I've studied so much. Like I've, I'm so experienced. I've, I've, have my PhD. I have my master's. I have my this and that. So I, I, yeah. I think I and just I, we, threw up a little bit in my mouth. I know. Yeah. Because trust me, um, I get that. And, and again, it all, for me, it all goes back to curiosity, right. And being mm-hmm. curious. I, I don't think you can be a passionate teacher or even a good one. If you think you've learned everything. I need. totally agree with that. Being able to know what you don't know. Right? Yeah. In those cases, what you're describing sounds like people who don't know what they don't know. Exactly. Starting from how to tackle a job interview, right? Good stuff. Yeah. I mean, I was on an interview once and I mean, granted, I had a little bit of experience, but you know, this, the cliche interview, I, it was not a great interview. It was a cl- pretty cliche, you know, and the manager asked me, you know, what do you think your weaknesses are as a teacher on the, on the list of questions, right? I really don't like that question, but you know, you get asked it. And then I just went off for like five minutes on all the things that I wanted to improve on and things that I think I'm not good at. And she just stared at me and I was like, what? And she said, no one's ever done that before. No one's ever said all these things that they think they're not good at. They usually just say all the things that are like kind of BS answers, you know, like, oh, I work too hard and I dedicate myself. And it's like, come on. No, you're not. No one's like that. And I said, all these like, okay, so I, I fall in love with this lesson style and I don't think I teach listening very well. And I need to work on my connectedness to this demographic of student. And I was just honest because that's, that's it. And that's how I am. And, and yeah. I got the job. Not, not bragging. Course. But she said that she never, you know, I think we need to be, as, as teachers, we need to be more open with ourselves of what we don't know and be honest with ourselves and, and admit that we have flaws and that we can learn more. And it's okay. Like that's, that's normal. That's being human. That's being a teacher. And that everything is a learning opportunity right Mm -hmm. everything every interaction every workshop every conference every conversation with another teacher is a learning opportunity absolutely people can tell you something you don't know or a book you've never read or a tool you've never used or why not right right not taking everything into account and actually listening like like actually like listen to people yes put your listening skills there so with that then Let's transition into into the ILAC uh, teacher room or teacher realm. And I know you told me uh, off air that you were integrating or starting to onboard or integrate a, a new professional development strategy for ILAC. And I'm curious and I'd love for you to tell us about it. How's it going? Yeah, it all starts from the uh, welcome to ILAC first day of work. <laughs> <laughs> so we, um, I'm seeing every single new hire um, I'm having like one-on-one meetings with them uh, we go over like I do some little institutional training in the beginning so they know uh, the company they're working for and then we start with the training um, there are lots and lots of observations that I like now we have peer observations we have uh, formal and informal observations impromptu observations assessment observations and we want to create this culture of observation the same way and we also believe that this is part of the part of the master plan right that we want to create create a teaching community or a group of teachers that that feel like a community we want to create this this um, observation culture in which being observed by a peer or a member of staff is not something threatening it's not something punitive it's not something tyrannical it's not something (laughs) weird but it is part of professional development it's part of being a better professional and and, you know i don't know it's it's part of part of being there because it's 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 a major responsibility you're dealing with tons and tons of people right that invest a lot of money time effort um sometimes you listen to these students talk about their their plans and their their like their whole family savings is is like par it's just like sponsoring their stay in Canada for a month. Mm-hmm. You're like you have to have the best of uh, best experience of your life. Like we're we're responsible for that. So um, in order to maintain like like quality assurance of our classes and our teachers engaged and motivated and teaching the pretty much the best class they can. Uh, we want to be more involved. We have to be more involved as the academic department. Um, so I see these observations as ways of opening up conversations. Um, as DOS or the other academic campus managers that do observe teachers as well, the idea is 
to gather information for the follow-up meeting and the feedback meeting, which is where the magic happens. Because it's when we can um, clear our crazy schedules and sit down with that teacher and turn off our phones and talk about teaching. Great. Because that's what that's what really, um, yeah, I think that's what really is effective. People feel supported. We find different ways of supporting teachers. We have teachers asking us to be observed. That's um, really important. I'm really happy to hear that. Because it's non-threatening and because it's often, because it happens all the time, it becomes, even the students, when when they have another teacher, so when they're being like, they, they have a peer observation and they have a new teacher observing a more senior teacher's class, students don't feel um, embarrassed or don't feel subconscious because it, it's normal, because mm-hmm. pretty much twice a week there will be someone observing their classes. Well, it's all about cultivating habits, right? If it becomes exactly. habitual, it becomes normal, it becomes regular practice, and these are really positive things we want to put into our teaching. And for some reason, in North America, in the ELT North American market, this type of practice has become uh, very little. It's done very little, and it's been done only for punitive measures. So it's great that you're instituting it as a, a positive habit and one... Uh, of, of learning where teachers can always learn because teaching can be very isolating. You know, we talked about this yesterday where we work with teachers technically because we work in the same school perhaps, but realistically we never are in the same classroom together at the same exactly. time. So yeah. how do you develop a, a positive environment of collaboration? And you seem like you're on the right track with that. Yeah. We devise a follow-up plan. So after this, this conversation that we have, we devise, um, we come together and say, okay, so how can we help you? Um, would you like to have a, a, if you're struggling with a certain aspect of teaching, would you like us to run a PD on that? Uh, would you like to, well, we do have PD opportunity, like PD workshop opportunities next month. Why don't you come to this, this, and this one? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want me to try and set up a time with another teacher that teaches the same program that you do so you guys can share ideas? So, it, you know, it's it's a way of putting people in contact. And for some of our programs, like our EAP program, our Pathway program, I've developed a new onboarding system just for people, even though they've been teaching at ILAC for a while, but for them to be exposed to the program before they start teaching the program. Uh, so they okay. do have a little training and they do have opportunities to sit down with people that are currently on the program that can share like hands-on tips on how to deal uh, uh, with the content. So Good yeah. stuff. I wish I had had that when I started working at I ILAC. Because <laughs> my first, my first, it's not about me, but my first assignment at ILAC was, I, I mean, I taught to a, in the Pathway Department for about three years. But uh-huh. when I first started into the pathway, I was supplying for a teacher who was on vacation. And uh-huh. the manager called me on the phone. I was brand new. And she said, so this, this teacher is going to be on vacation next week. We'd like you to cover his class. It's a pathway class. Or it was pre-degree at the time. We called it, It's a pre-degree class. Uh, are you interested? And I said, yes, absolutely. <laughs> What's pre-degree? <laughs> I had no idea. And it was the I worst know. week of teaching for my entire life. I had no idea what I was doing. And yeah. I got through it, and then eventually, obviously, you, you got more training and, and onboarded it. But it was it was a funny week. But I had no idea what it was. I just said, "Yeah, sure, I'll do that." And then you figure it out kind of later. But obviously, with more support, it would be a lot more a lot easier. Yeah. Um, when you yeah. when you advocate, how my next question, I guess, is how do you incorporate reflection into these types of ideas? Because I think ref- I don't know if you agree, but I think reflecting personally for teaching and then with through PD is really, really important to learn and to get better as a teacher. Uh, Yeah, I think that the fact that we have people constantly signing up for these PD workshops, it it truly indicates that those are the reflective teachings teachers right Mm -hmm. uh those are the ones mindful like mindfully thinking mindfully thinking about their everyday uh, teaching uh, because they want more they want to learn more they want to talk to other people they want to maybe try new things so these these teachers are like i don't even have to tell them the benefits of attending pds or being on board of all the professional development initiatives that we carry because they're there they're, that's on them i think the tricky part would be and that's again I, that that's another role I think of the follow-ups um, after observations is that it's an opportunity to it's also an opportunity to have these teachers that aren't 
actually thinking about their teaching because of course we've all been there there's a moment in our career that we just turn on the autopilot Mm-hmm. All right. Let, let's let's talk about the, the honest truth here <laughs> for some reason, because we're teaching the same thing for the I don't know, not the same thing or group, but the same material for so long or we're we're just we get we get comfortable. We get comfortable in the ways we present things. We get comfortable in the ways we check concept. I don't know. We, we, we get comfortable in our ways. So for those who are too comfortable, I think after observations, when you because those observations are conversations. So we prompt questions instead of saying, you're doing this, you should be doing that, right? Because I also don't think it works that way. Right, not prescribing, um, suggesting, or exactly. starting so the conversation. I, I, would, yeah. I would prompt questions like, okay, so I observed this, how do you feel, uh, how would you do this differently? Or have you ever considered doing this in another way? And then I may prompt two, three other ways. Um, to see if people st- and then you see like it is fantastic to see people's reactions with the oh mm-hmm. and i get that oh a lot because sometimes only what people need is a little push or a new set of eyes saying hey there are other ways yes try this way try that other way take or risks be- exactly and and it's it's that's i think that's the beauty of this you know and that's my favorite thing on this job is this kind of and that i call coaching there you okay (laughs) (laughs) i I will give you that one (laughs) thank you very much because it's it's teacher coaching pretty much it's teacher training but it's it's like i'm coaching them i'm giving them solutions options or ideas and and of course sometimes i don't have them all but i Mm -hmm. will dig and i will look and i will talk to other people now will research well nobody has them all that's impossible yeah until until i i have something to offer and that keeps the fire going in in you know as you said if you're an experienced teacher but if you've been teaching the same level or same textbook for a while you can get complacent you can get a little bit tired and but by taking risks and doing trying different things and trying teaching stuff in different ways and failing i mean it won't always work of course but you try it you can do it and then you get the fire started again and you know if you taught for 20 years but you've taught the same thing for 19 years do you really have 20 years of experience well maybe but you probably have one year times 19 over and over again you know if you've done the same thing for 19 years so that's that's really really great um the elephant in the room of all this of course i'm going to ask it because everyone's thinking it the elephant in, in the room when it comes to pd is um money so okay when I don't know how the Alex structure works, if teachers are paid for these workshops, if they're not, how do you motivate the teacher if they're not motivated to attend, participate, collaborate, be part of the community, uh, or or said differently, uh, show them that money or monetary gain isn't the most important motivational factor in this? Yeah, that's tricky. But then, yes, they are paid. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, we pay for extra professional development. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's a matter of, I think it's, a, again, a matter of mindset and a matter of how you face your job, right? How you, how dedicated and how passionate you are about your job. Because at any other industry, professionals are updating themselves. They're always learning. They're always, like, paying good money for conferences and workshops and talks and demo lessons, right? Yeah, absolutely. Why would teaching be different? I mean, that's how I view it personally. Um, On the contrary, we should even be more aware of those opportunities since everything is ever changing and students' needs change and the industry is changing. so I, I, I don't know. I see that if a teacher isn't interested in, in internal or even external PD opportunities, it's just because they're not interested in teaching pretty much, right? I agree, yeah. We go all the way back to not wanting to learn anything else in life. Or <laughs> it, it, it all adds up to that, I think. Yeah, so, I mean, it's not a teaching not, trait. That's just a personality trait. And yeah. that's going to follow them to any any industry or any profession that they do. And it's yeah. to each his own, to each his or her own. But uh, yeah, I think that's yeah. that's that's tough because for me and for you yeah. and for lots of teachers and for Leo and Mike and all of us in this 
we love learning and it doesn't have to be about teaching. I learn something every day. I read all that. I read a lot. I, I look up stuff. I'm curious. I think curiosity, I like that word that you said, being curious is yeah. the most important, one of the most important qualities we can have. Yeah. I think it's crucial. I think it's what makes everything interesting and, and, and that's where the added value is, right? That's the, the, the things that you can truly share with your students mm-hmm. because you're thinking about them. You're thinking about their needs. You're, you're thinking about how to make their learning processes um, efficient for them. Yeah, exactly. And I think we've answered the question that I was going to ask about burnout. Through motivation, through mindset, through curiosity, burnout doesn't happen. Agree or disagree? Oh, it does happen. (laughs) I disagree a little bit. No. um, Okay. It's way easier to feel inspired if you're if you have this mindset that you have always something to learn always um you know you have there's always something new out there um it's way more inspiring and even though you're tired and exhausted and lo- working long hours it makes the process way more enjoyable mm-hmm. right we have to to agree on that yes of course but yeah like we said the industry is changing there are so many possibilities for a teacher now and for a student um uh, like i said to my 18 year old self like there will be something called the internet and online platforms for learning and that is beautiful like teachers can teach pretty much from anywhere around the world and 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 from their homes right and students from from all over the world so I think it's um, it can be teachers can burn out. It can be hard. Uh, you can work long hours. Mm-hmm. Remember, we we're talking about this. Like, if you can start like really, really early, if you're dealing with the an international market, right? Due to um, with online teaching, yeah, for sure. With online teaching, yes, because if you're dealing with you know um, t- students from another country, that can be pretty exhausting. But well, you know that that very cliche saying, "Time flies when you're having fun." Like, yeah, I'm familiar I with think, it, yeah. I, yeah, we feel in the zone. I feel that sometimes when I'm doing something that I'm really, really, really love doing, I I don't see like time just goes by, and I I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I'm four hours doing this. I'm reading this book for five hours. Or um, yeah, it's funny, right? I mean, there's lot. I mean, no one likes marking. Maybe there's the odd one who likes marking, and but there's lots of things involved in teaching that are part of the job. But I wouldn't do anything else. And I think a lot of teachers would say the same thing. I just I love what I do. I'm passionate about it. Sure, there are things that I you know I wish did exist, but then the whole thing wouldn't exist because they're all part of the whole, you know. And I wouldn't do anything else. I wouldn't change it for anything. That's but cliche. then again, nowadays, teach, think about teachers 50, 60 years ago. Uh, they didn't have a lot of choice. They would work for institutions, right? Mm-hmm. That's it. Um, teachers are way freer now to have multiple jobs, to teach for themselves, to teach for institutions, to teach different programs, to teach in different countries. So how can that get boring? Touche. (laughs) Touche. Well put. Speaking of interesting and speaking of diversifying, before we wrap up here, because we're running out of time, again, you're on the move here. You're a busy lady. You've started something else. You're part of a, a new project, aren't you? Yes, Virtus's language coaching, Andrew. <laughs> okay, okay Virtus's language coaching. It's a bunch of amazing people that got together. Um, so Melissa Garino, Ayla Katza, Bardaz, we all met at ILAC. Yeah. Uh, when I started there, um, we were all in the admin and everybody, like people that went their ways, they teach in college now. And I mean, everybody's scattered all around Toronto. But somehow we clicked, you know, the way we think about teaching, the way we think about learning. And uh, we're putting together this online platform for students and teachers called Vertis's Language Coaching. Where does the name come from? Vertis's, well, Melissa had this beautiful idea of the angles of a form that align together. It's very holistic and metaphorical at the same time right. and the vertices like of, a, of a shape yeah so because we really click we're really uh, we're really aligned when it comes to how we see um, a classroom environment and learning taking place so yeah we got together and my my idea for i mean what i can do right now with my schedule and everything is to 
I hope in the future to be able to coach teachers as a teacher trainer mm-hmm. on more specific stuff and stuff and maybe develop content like precise content for teachers on you know those interesting things we know that happens in the classroom and the points the teachers struggle with especially yeah. for beginner teachers and oh well, there's a big yeah, need for so. that and we you know there's no such thing as too much and we always want to learn more and that's that's really exciting i hope that you ladies have uh, a lot of success and it's it's exciting it's it's great to see as you said there's lots of opportunities for teachers now and and we're not you know shackled present maybe that's a bit of a strong word yeah. but shackled to yeah. institute or to do schools. your way if you really trust thing. yeah yeah absolutely and they're uh, amazing professionals and uh i'm pretty sure it's 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 gonna be amazing what's the word we just started with that it's the very first month that we're operating and that's so exciting uh, yeah it's exciting. I'm excited to see colleagues of mine and friends of mine and any, anyone that I've worked with do their own thing because I think it's so exciting and such a big opportunity and such a big market. And it's it's great to see people, you know, take risks and go outside the box. And I heard this phrase the other day. I'm going to use it. It's teacherpreneur. I've heard that phrase. Teacherpreneur. Yes. Edupreneurs. Teacherpreneurs. Yes. Yes. And you are also, we, 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 I saw you speak at, at the T4T conference in January, and you're speaking again coming up in April, right? Yes, April uh, 6th and 7th. Uh, April 6th is the conference, the mm-hmm. Disruptive Education Conference. Uh, it's the second time they're running this event here in Toronto at the Center for Social Innovation. All right. So be sure to check yes. that out. And tickets available online? Online. Yes, I think so. Good question. <laughs> but yeah, they should Google or maybe on LinkedIn, they'll be able to find more um, information about that. Well, they have the internet, so they can they can figure that Guys, out. Guys, the internet. Okay. <laughs> Barbara, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate thank your you. time. This was great. Thank you very much. It was great fun. Lots of fun. Thank you, guys. You've been listening to Teacher Talking Time, brought to you by Learn Your English. Ready to take control of your education? You're in the right place. Teaching, professional development, learning. Expand your world with Learn Your English.